it's really good to have the young people with us. I was hearing some extra voices during the singing, and uh, we welcome you. It's glad, glad to have you with us worshiping today. I uh, wanted to ask a question. Maybe some of the young people enjoy getting involved and in thinking about this. And that question is, it's going to make you hungry, I'm sorry. What is your favorite food? Now, you got that in mind. One more question. Can you think back to when you first tried it? Might make some of you think farther than others. If you were able to remember when that happened, I gave you a short notice. Raise your hand. There's a few. Utter bomb of an illustration. No, just kidding. I'll, I'll tell you an illustration from my, my situation. There's a couple things in my life. I, you know, maybe they're not even my favorite food. But they're foods that I did not like until I first had gotten a taste of a really good version of them. So first of all, um, any, any fans of Brussels sprouts? Well, there are. Okay. I'm just telling you, for the first, uh, until the last 10 years, I could not stand Brussels sprouts. They were the worst thing in the world. Until I had a chance, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and got a chance to go to Guy Fieri's restaurant there, and he served these Brussels sprouts that were grilled with uh, paprika and all kinds of stuff. I don't even know what was all on them. And they were the best thing. I I mean, I could not believe how good they were. My, I, my sis, I met up with my sister two days later, and we went to a burger joint, also in Louisville. And they, she was like, they had this cool thing. It's Brussels sprouts. I was like, I'll take it. Those were good, too. It wasn't until I had a good version of Brussels sprouts was I interested. We've tried it since then and done pretty well on the grill, you know, oil and all kinds of stuff. But I would have never thought I'd like it until then. I think the same thing is true. Um, um, I enjoy a good cup of coffee. But when I was a kid, and the first couple times I tried it, like, I think my family probably did more instant, that kind of stuff. And I just thought, how can anybody drink this stuff? And then finally, I think I was a senior in high school. I was at this restaurant in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, Meyer's Restaurant. And I got this cup of coffee. And the first time I tasted it, I was like, oh, wow. This is why people like coffee. And I've been drinking it ever since. <laughs> here, in this, here in this text, God is actually encouraging us to taste and see that he is good. So I want us to dig into this psalm. First of all, um, I, I, I've really enjoyed this, this series on the psalms, but I, I'll have to be honest with you. Early on, you know, for the first you know, while that I remember, I didn't really feel like I get the Psalms. You know, some of the, the emotions that were out there, you know, David would be just exuberantly joyful. And I'm like, wow, like, I don't think I've ever been on that level before. Sometimes he's in the depths of despair and you're like, I don't know if I want to read this right now. I'm kind of feeling a little bit better than he is right now. There are other times he's questioning God. And I, I read what he says and I'm like, oh, are you allowed to say that? 
Are you allowed to ask God those questions? I, I always feel like I was like trying to clean up my questions, you know, like, uh, maybe I shouldn't ask you about that because I, I don't want you to think that I don't trust you. And David is like, he has questions and he asks God and he runs to God with those things. And I didn't quite understand that. But I really feel like I've gotten a bit of a growing appreciation just going through different parts of life and seeing things that, that are going on. And then as I read through the Psalms, having certain Psalms just stick out and become like so precious to me because they, they ministered to my soul and helped me in those circumstances. Um, David and the psalmists often have given me words that I can pray. Maybe those psalms that I didn't think you were allowed to pray at first, those give me ways to wrestle through hard things that I've gone through. Um, other times, you know, when, when I, I was, you know, just seeing the Lord's goodness, some of those psalms just kind of gave me words to say to give God praise. And so I've really um, appreciated growing to know that. And and I really think in order to get this psalm, it's important for us to understand where David was coming from when he gave, wrote this psalm. What is the backstory of this psalm? Now, David's pretty famous, isn't he? Uh, young people, like, you know, top three for sure. Bible stories, David's got to be right up there, if not the top, okay? And, and you know, all those Bible stories were Anne's. It was uh, Noah and the ark, Jonah and the whale, David and Goliath. I think if you have an and in there, you got a better chance of getting up there um, in, the, in, in, in the stories. But, but David and the Goliath has to be one of those pretty amazing stories that, that really, um, you know, young people I, I loved and I still love as an adult uh, to hear the story. How, how God helped David when all the adults were basically afraid. God basically gave David the power to stand up to this guy who was probably twice his height. This guy who was an experienced warrior and David came with a sling shot and was able to defeat the enemies of God because God helped him. David knew it was God. Before he even went into it, he said, you know, I'm, you know I believe God will help me win this because he's already helped me with the lion and the bear and he can help me again. He was giving God the glory before it ever happened. So you know the story of David and Goliath. But after that, David went through a number of different things. First of all, I mean, he, he defeats Goliath and Saul says, all right, good. You know, you've, you've, you've uh, won this great victory for us. Come and I want you to be one of, I want you to be, serve me in the palace. Um, so David goes and serves, serves Saul. And and as he serves, God's hand was on him. It was obvious. And he kept on succeeding in everything he did. And as he succeeded, Saul would give him, King Saul would give him more responsibilities. And he would succeed. So Saul gave him uh, charge over um, part of his army. He gave, him, he gave him some soldiers that he would lead in battle. And as he led those soldiers in battle, he continued to have success because of the Lord's help. And somewhere along the line, as he has success, there comes a big bump in the road. And that big bump in the road happened during a celebration. And that celebration was, as he's there coming back from a victory with Saul, there's this chant coming from down the street. And Saul had to be really excited at the beginning. And it was, Saul has killed his thousands. 
And then Saul clearly was not happy when he heard the rest of it, which was, and David his ten thousands. Can you imagine how that might make your boss feel? When somebody might praise someone under them? And in Saul's case, it was, it was a very serious case for jealousy and anger and rage. Saul took a really bad turn at that point. Saul, Saul began to, uh, uh, in fact, the very next day, he tried to pin David against the wall with his spear twice, and David evaded him. After that, he's like, okay, you know what? Let me not do it myself. I'm going to figure out a way to let the Philistines kill him. So he would send him out on these missions against the, Philip, uh, the Philistines, you know, uh, thinking for sure, like, he's not going to, one of these is going to take him out. And every time, David would come back successful. It got to the point where he started offering his daughters as, as his wife if he would go out and win a number of victories. And David kept on winning to the point that Saul eventually gave his daughter in marriage to him. David's his son-in-law and he hates him and he wants to kill him. So life went from someone that's, everything's going well to suddenly pretty dangerous thing and, and so, uh, David eventually had to flee. He must have had to flee in a hurry because he fled to the Philistines and he fled to a city called Gath which if you know about Goliath, where was Goliath from? He was named Goliath of Gath. And as he's there, I, I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but as he's there, there's whispers and like people recognize him. And then they arrest him and bring him before the king. And during that time he's arrested, David realizes like he's in, he's in, he's in bad shape. Like he could die tomorrow. And he cries out to the Lord and, and pens Psalm 56. He goes before Achish and he does pretty much the only thing he can do, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I'd do in that situation. But he pretends to be insane. He says he lets the drool run down his, his beard. He, uh, he scrabbles on the wall with his hands. He, he must have mumbled and things like that. And, and the king goes like, what on, why'd you bring me this? Guy, get him out of here. And so David's able to escape. So he escapes twice. His life was, in, in just a few days, his life was on the line. God had brought him through it. He escapes, but basically his life is changed in a huge way. I mean, he, he goes from being someone who's, you know, got all these responsibility and is over men to he's hiding out in a cave called Adullam by himself. And then very shortly after that, some others start to come in. His family was in danger, so they join him. His, his brothers, it says, comes. Later on, you see his parents were with him. I'm sure their kids were with him as well. They're not going to leave their kids behind to be slaughtered by, by Saul. Saul was so angry that he actually wiped out an entire uh, town of, of priests of God because they had helped David in just a slight way, accusing them of insubordination. So here David is hiding in the mountains with family and some, some others that had come to him trying to, trying to seek uh, help. 
and David is processing those things, and we get this psalm that looks like it's one of those psalms that, like, you read it and you are, I mean, it's so encouraging. You see, you see God, uh, see David praising God. How was David able to write that? And then what was the, what was the purpose for that? So I, I think it's also important for us to see what kind of psalm is this. First of all, it's a psalm of praise and also a psalm of wisdom. David actually called it, uh, I'm sorry, not David, but Charles Spurgeon actually described it as a hymn and then a sermon. Um, it's, it's also a very welcoming, inviting psalm. If, as we read that, did you notice some of the words? With me, together, oh come. In addition to that, David is sharing some of his own story. You know, this poor man cried. And, and you know, I really believe that as we read this psalm, David was, was taught, we, we see something that was going on there. David was trying to help those who were in the same boat that he was, who had really gone through some of the same things. I imagine his, his family had to pack up and they were like, probably like, are they going to kill us on the way? And they had survived, but still were in this much, uh, this, this time of much uh, distress. And David is really trying to help those who were really in the same boat that he was. They were in the middle of difficulty, even though they had come through some maybe more serious difficulty, they were still in the middle of it. There was all kinds of consequences for what had happened. And so David is here helping those in the middle. How does he do that? He really gives them four points in the psalm that we're going to look at. And the first one is he takes time to worship. I, I, and really challenged. I don't know if you are when you think that for what he says in that first verse. I will pray, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. I don't know about you, but I can't say that that is always the truth for me. I, I, but I'll tell you what, you look at David's life, I think you see two things. One is this is a resolve. He's saying, I'm going to praise the Lord in this circumstance. But another thing is, this is something David had already been practicing for a long time for him to be able to do that in this situation that was much more difficult. And so he starts out, I will bless the Lord at all times. This praise shall be continually in my mouth. He, uh, he says he's going to boast in the Lord. Do you take time to brag about what the Lord has done to yourself? And to others, you know, we should, we're supposed to be humble, but we are supposed to be, there's nothing to be humble about when it comes to our Lord. We should be proud of what he does, and we, sh we should be able to brag about that. He, uh, he gives us the why, uh, why should we do this, um, that, that the humble can hear and be glad. That word humble is really the word for afflicted, that those who are hurting can hear what you say and be glad. And then he draws it together like he says, let us, let us all exalt his name together. Here you have a, a band of people who have lost most of what they are familiar with. They're here, refugees, men, women, and children. And he's saying, I want to help you. 
And let's do, one way we can help each other is to magnify the Lord together. So he calls them, and, and really there's an emphasis on that. It's, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Secondly, he gives a testimony. Have you ever been encouraged when somebody else shares something that the Lord has done in their life? David's doing that here. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He, he, uh, he re- describes himself as this poor man. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard and answered. And in the middle of this, there's a verse five and it says this, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. There's only one way he could be that way, that he could actually have joy in the midst of sorrow. That was because he was looking to the Lord. It wasn't the circumstances that were making him glad. So you have worship, you have a testimony, then you have truth. And often, so much in times of difficulty, we need some truths that we can anchor our souls on. And the first one is that God helps those who depend on him. That God helps those who depend on him. They're in, in verses 7, 10. Listen, listen to verses 7 through 10. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those that fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. He's not saying that they don't lack anything, that there's nothing that they don't have that they want. He's saying that they don't lack what they really need, the good things of God. And so he's, he's saying God helps those who depend on him. And really there is something in this that is, 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 is a description of what it means to depend on him. And that is those that fear him. That God, God calls, in fact, in this, in this passage it says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. So the person who depends on him is a person who fears him. Now that's different than the fear that he had when he was in, in Philistia, okay, which was a terror. This is a fear and awe of God and who he is, a respect for him because he is over all things and a desire not to go against him because they know that he is in charge. I, it's really tied to the goodness here. In fact, those two verses are right next to each other. And, and I, think, I think it's hard for some to, sometimes for us to see how God's goodness and the fear of, God, fear of the Lord go together. But I love this illustration in um, the, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. There's a little dialogue that goes on here, and I, I think you might, it might help us see how those things go together. Susan is talking to uh, the Beaver family, and, and uh, she, they've just told her about Aslan who is the king, and she says, and, and that he's a, a lion. And Susan says this, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mrs. Beaver replies, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they are either braver than most or else just silly. Lucy says, then isn't he, then he isn't safe? 
Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God's goodness and his greatness complement each other. Like, how, how can we trust him if we don't realize how great he is? And it is important for us to not forget that he is the greatest reality in all the world. We, we can be in all of things like Niagara Falls. I got to stand at the, you know, at the, a few years ago we, we took a vacation and I'm standing at the edge of Niagara Falls fearing, feeling the water just thunder down and that was all inspiring. But that's nothing compared to the greatness and the power and the glory and the awesomeness of our God. Fourth, the fourth truth he shares that is intended to help those that were here um, is that God helps the righteous and judges the wicked. And he ties the righteous to those that, are, that fear the Lord. By the way, young people, he actually starts this phrase by saying, come, O children, listen to me. It wasn't just the parents. It wasn't just the grandparents that were there. There were children there that, that needed this word. What does it look like um, to, to be righteous. How do you do that? And he gives them some instructions. First of all, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's asking the question, who is righteous? And, and he's, he's giving some of the description of this. That, uh, that they're the people that don't sin with their tongue. I want to ask you, like, does that, is that like a description of you? I have to say that at times that's not a description of me. This is a pretty tough thing to live up to. If you only just said the first thing, you know, the person who doesn't lie, I think all of us are probably in trouble. I I I don't know every one of you, but probably all of us at some point have failed in that. So there's deeds of righteousness that he speaks of that are like the t- keeping your tongue from evil, keeping lips from deceit, turning away from evil and doing good and seeking peace and pursuing it. But there's also a heart of righteousness described here. And that, that includes things like those who cry to God for help. And those in verse 22 where it says, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Those who take refuge in him. That the righteous take refuge in God. They almost feel like two different things, and I think in some ways they are. Because the reality is, in some ways, we can never be righteous. We sang about that in our first song, didn't we? None of us can live fully up to the standard of righteousness. And yet David somehow was putting himself and those with him as righteous. How, how could he do that? And I think it really comes down to the fact that he understood God and his plan often, often more than many of the people around him. There's a verse in this psalm that just blows my mind. It's a prophetic verse. And, and it's verse 20. It says this, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. I'm pointing that out because John the Apostle John, when he's speaking about the crucifixion, 
he actually refers to this verse as a prophecy. Listen, listen to John 19.36. It says this, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now, I, I just, I'm telling you, I remember looking that verse up, you know, that prophecy up when I was looking at John once and going like, I just don't, I mean, I don't know how he connects this to, to Psalm. This, this Psalm, it's just like, it, it's, I think he's talking about like people that are hurting. And then I was like, but, but it is kind of weird that like, is, is God promising that none of the righteous will ever have a broken bone? I mean, personally, I'd be in trouble. I cracked my wrist when I was like four, I think jumping, falling off a bed that I was jumping on that I shouldn't have been. Some of you have broken bones. Clearly, I think probably even people back then, they would have realized like something's going on with this verse that's different. And they would have known, had a little bit more clue than we might if we just see Psalms. And that's because David himself was quoting the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the Bible. He was quoting from the law in Exodus 12 and Numbers 46 when Moses was talking and God was giving them instructions about the Passover. Remember the Passover? When they were supposed to take and, and sacrifice a lamb and then put the, the blood over the doorposts. And in that, he says, don't break a bone of the lamb. That wasn't just an instruction because they, he wanted to give them special instructions there. He was actually, from that point, pointing to the sacrifice that would fulfill all the sacrifices and pay for the sins of all the world. When Jesus came, when he died on the cross there, he was taking on him all our sins so that we could be washed clean. David understood and I think you see it because of those later verses talking about depending on him, particularly that last one, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. David understood that ultimately those of us, those who are believers, were, their sins were paid for not by themselves, but by God. And we know that it, that was through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, I, so who is Righteous. Initially, I mean, ultimately, we're not the righteous ones, but we're given righteousness because of Jesus Christ. That's why you can put yourself in this psalm and claim these promises that God will look after you. Now, I want to close with three takeaways that really come directly from this psalm. Instead of giving my own applications, there's three verses here that kind of stick out. Because there's something unique about each one of those. And that is the way they start. They each start with the word, oh. Have you seen them in the passage as we read it? And the first one I want, I want to point out is the, is the verse, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And the takeaway is keep praising God, whatever your situation. There's a choice that we make every time we're in difficulty. We can look at that difficulty and focus on it and be, be just, and, and lose all kinds of sight of what, that God is, is in our lives. Or we can choose to look for those glimpses of what God has done already for us in that situation. 
Sometimes we, it's going to take a while. We may have to cry out to God for that help. But David, even though he's in a tough situation, was able to look back just a few days before and remember and praise God for how God had already helped him. And that helped him trust God more. So we need to magnify the Lord and magnify him together. I love the fact that once a week we join together and we rehearse all of us together with our voices, rehearse God's truths for our own edification and for the edification of those around us. So keep praising the Lord, whatever your situation. Secondly, we need to let the reality of our great God fill you with awe. That really comes from that second, that another O. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. So many times we see, when we think about God, we think about him in a passing manner. We don't really remember that he is over all. He's in control. We don't see how big he is. And so we are so caught up in our sorrows. We think no one can help us. When we see God as who he is, we know where we can go for help. And then lastly, really I think the main theme of this passage is taste God's goodness. If you're here and you can say, you know, you talk about God's goodness, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here for a while, I don't know. But you're like, I don't think I've ever really understood what that means. God is really, he has his hands out to you and says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I, you know, maybe one example that might help. I, I was thinking about, you probably heard the song Amazing Grace. I was thinking about the author of that song, John Newton. He really did this. He was, he was a horrible, I mean, he was a slave ship captain. He was, he was uh, an, an evil man. And he was in a storm and he called out to God, said, God, I'm going to die. If you save me, I'll give my life to you. Now, that's not a prayer of salvation. That's not a prayer of putting their trust. But he reached out to God and he was shocked when God helped him. And that later led to him putting his trust in God fully for salvation. Maybe, maybe you're in a place where you're like, I, I don't, this situation's ugly. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who can help me. I'm ready to give up. And you just need to say, God, please help me. Help me see that you're true. Help me see that you're real. I believe God will answer that question, that, that prayer. But maybe you're someone who has had a little taste of God's goodness. I, 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 can, I can look back in my life and see some different times when God really broke through in ways that I could not, I could not explain. Times when I was just, I mean, life was messed up and some of it was because I had messed up life. And reaching out to God and asking for his help and seeing him change both the situation, but even more important, change my heart and see that he was there with me and just being so thankful and joyful, even in times of sorrow, that he was helping me. And maybe as a believer, you need to, you, you, you know, I, I just want to encourage you to continue to think about ways that God has helped you in the past and then take note of the ones that happen when they come. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
you need help, these three things will help you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us when we forget how good you are, how great you are, and we forget to praise you. Lord, you deserve all our praise, and we pray that you'd help us. We pray this in your name.